Throughout this series on Missional God, Missional Church, we've been working our way through the Gospel of Luke, and we've been learning this one central truth that the church has a mission because Jesus had a mission. So today I want to turn our attention to another book that Luke wrote, the book of Acts. Acts chapter 13, would you open God's Word with me to Acts chapter 13? And if you've been reading through the Bible reading plan with us, on Tuesday you read this chapter, Acts chapter chapter 13. Today, as we seek to be a missional church that's focused on the mission of God, I want to talk to you today about a very important subject. I want to talk to you today about the role of prayer and fasting. And I want to say to you today that I have recently completed an extended time of prayer and fasting. Um, some days I fasted the whole day, some days I fasted one or two meals. I really didn't say, share this with very many people at all. I, I didn't even tell my family, except for my wife, she knew. And I didn't share it with the staff, I did share it with our deacons because they're my prayer partners. And uh, so I kept the circle very, very small during this extended time of prayer and fasting. And as I was praying during this time, I had five specific things I was praying for. And I won't get into the details of my time with the Lord, except to say, late in those days of prayer and fasting, I began to sense God wanting us as a church family to take part in a concerted time, prayer and fasting. And so I want to invite you to join me in seven days of prayer and fasting beginning March the 28th and going through April the 3rd. That is the week before Easter. My goal is that you would choose at least one day during that week to spend some concentrated time in prayer and fasting for your own personal needs as well as for the needs in our church. Now, quite frankly, I hope that every day we'll have one or more people praying. I hope that we can easily cover all seven days and know that somebody's praying and fasting every one of those seven days. And you may not be able to fast for an entire day because of medications that you're on or physical problems you may have, but perhaps you can fast for a meal or maybe two meals. Some of you will indeed be able to fast for an entire day, and if that's you, I would encourage you to fast from sunset to sunset. Let that kind of be your guide as you're choosing a day to fast on. And some may even fast for multiple days. I believe God will show you how long you should fast. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later in the message and later in the coming weeks, helping prepare you for seven days of prayer and fasting. Right now, I really want to call your attention to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13 because in Acts chapter 13, a shift occurs in the story that Luke is telling. And this shift that occurs came about during a time of prayer and fasting. There are three factors that demonstrate this shift that is taking place in Acts 13. And, and here they are, we're going to put them on the screen. First of all, the main character in the story, the story in the book of Acts, the main character in the story switches from Peter to Paul. For the first 12 chapters in the book of Acts, Peter has been the main character in the story. It wasn't 
every chapter is not about Peter, certainly, but he definitely is the main character from the days of Pentecost all the way through chapter 12. The main character in the story in the book of Acts is Peter. But in chapter 13, that changes. And in fact, in chapter 13, all the way through the rest of the book, chapter 28, Paul is the main character in the story. Here's another factor in this shift that takes place. The base of operations moves from Jerusalem to Antioch. Now this fascinates me. That the base of operations moves out of the city of Jerusalem. And the gospel is taken outside of Israel to Syria to the town of Antioch. Jerusalem ceases to be the center of God's activity in the church. And I'm not saying the church wasn't there and it wasn't important, but I'm simply saying that the the center of operations, the, the center of God's activity switches from Jerusalem to Antioch. And in fact, what you read as you continue through the book of Acts, what you read about is that you see that the church in Jerusalem actually becomes somewhat of a needy church, and the churches outside of Israel are sending funds to help support the church in Jerusalem. So that's another factor in this shift that occurs in Acts, beginning in Acts 13. And then here's the third factor, or the third piece of the evidence. The spread of the gospel becomes strategic and intentional. In the first 11 chapter, first 12 chapters actually, in the book of Acts, the spread of the gospel was often the result of persecution. It was persecution that pushed the gospel out. It was a persecution that took the gospel to new areas like Samaria and throughout Galilee. The persecution was what led to the spread of the gospel. In fact, it was the persecution that pushed the gospel all the way to Antioch in Syria. But now, beginning in Acts 13, the gospel will will be spread through mission trips. Strategic, intentional mission trips. The church's emphasis shifted from itself to others who needed the gospel around the world. So Acts chapter 13 is an important chapter in your Bible. Acts chapter 13 is an important chapter in the story of the church. A major shift occurs beginning in Acts chapter 13. And the Holy Spirit clearly directed the church into this new phase of ministry. So let me show you this in Acts 13, beginning verse 1. In the church of Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Five different men are listed. These were the leaders of the church, the pastors, if you will, uh, in the church at Antioch. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Now there's a word that you see twice in this text. It's once found once in verse 2 and once in verse 3. And it is the word fasting. This new work of God that is about to take place, this shift in this new strategy in the church, came through a time of prayer and fasting. I want to define fasting for you. Look at this. It is to abstain from food for a given period of time for the purpose of focusing on God. Now, Now, carefully look at that again. To abstain from food for a given period of time, but it's not just for the purpose of losing weight. This is not a diet. It's abstaining from food for a given period of time for the purpose of focusing your attention on God. 
It might interest you to know that all the major religions of the world practice fasting. This is not just a Christian concept. Buddhism, Islam, Judaism, Christianity, they all fast in one way or another. The difference is whom they are pursuing in the fast and what the purpose of the fast is. For us as Christians, when we fast, we are pursuing the God of heaven and fully surrendering our lives to him. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will seek me and find me when you, when you seek me with all of your heart. And in Acts chapter 13, that's exactly what the church was doing. In a time of worship and fasting, in a time of prayer and fasting, they were seeking God and it led to this radical shift in the way that they did church and in the spread of the gospel. So based on this text, Acts chapter 13, I want to show you two things that happens when we as a congregation focus on God through prayer and fasting. Here's the first one. Number one, prayer and fasting make us more sensitive to God's voice and direction. Look at verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Don't miss this flow here. Look at it again carefully, verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said. In other words, they heard from God because they were fasting and praying to God. You see, fasting adjusts your heart to God. Fasting is, some of you are old enough, you remember the, the, the radio that had the dial and you'd turn the dial and kind of tune the dial until you got the station clear? That's what fasting does for you. Or you remember the, some of you are old enough to remember the rabbit ears on your TV and you move them around and, and ex- extend them and everything and, and you're trying to tune in the TV station, get a clear picture. Prayer and fasting is that. Prayer and fasting creates this opportunity for you to tune in to God. You're declaring, God, I want you more than I want this food. So whether it's for a meal or whether it's a day or multiple meals or multiple days, during that time, you're saying to God, I want you more than I want this food. I need you more than I need this food. Fasting and praying does something in your life that can't be done any other way. It's where you're declaring and fully surrendering to God, I want and need you to work in my life. I want and need to hear you speak to my life. I want and need you to direct my life. And God, I want that so bad I'm going to give up food so I can hear from you. Let me tell you from a practical standpoint what fasting does for you. Fasting and prayer creates extra space in your busy life so that you can pause to hear from God. We live busy, busy lives, do we not? You've been busy this week, more than likely. And in our busy, busy lives, how do we take time out for God? One of the ways that we can do that, one of the ways that we can create some extra space in our busy lives so we can hear from God is through prayer and fasting. We use the time we would have been eating to pray. Doesn't that make sense? Now I've suddenly got some extra 30 minutes or an extra hour in my day because... The time I would have spent eating, now I have opportunity to pray. I've created some space for God. And when I get hungry throughout the day in the afternoon, it's a reminder. Oh yeah, I'm fasting. And I'm not just fasting, I'm fasting with a purpose. And here's my purpose. And it reminds me again that I need to pray. 
I told you that I had an extended time of prayer and fasting in day three. I, I was keeping a journal every day, and in day three, uh, I was reading Psalm 34, verse 8, which I thought was kind of a strange verse to be reading when you're fasting. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And the more I reflected on that, this is what I wrote in my journal. I said, that seems to be uniquely appropriate for a time of fasting. Rather than satisfying our desires for food, we're to taste and see how wonderful God is. And the New Testament church, as they were fasting and praying, they got a taste of God's goodness. And they sensed God's voice and God's direction. Let me show you this in Scripture. Look at verse 2. It is so clear in verse 2. First of all, in verse 2, the Holy Spirit spoke to the church as a whole. The corporate body. Verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. So, so the Holy Spirit speaks to the church as a whole, to the group, and says, here's, here's what I want to do. I want you to set apart, set apart Saul and Barnabas. But also in verse 2, apparently the Holy Spirit spoke privately to both Saul and Barnabas because he says, I, I, I'm setting them apart to the work that I've called them. I've already talked to them. I've called them to this. It's in that time of prayer and fasting that God spoke to the church corporately and he spoke to Saul and Barnabas individually. If you need to hear from God, if you need to hear God's voice and seek God's direction for your life, I want to invite you to seven days of prayer and fasting. I want to invite you on a journey with God. And prayer and fasting is simply a time where you are intentionally seeking God. It's a sign that you're serious about not staying in the condition you're in. It's a way to show God you're serious about knowing Him and doing His will. So if you want to adjust your heart and your life so that you can hear from God better, one of the ways to do that is to spend concerted time in prayer and fasting. Here's the second thing I want to share with you today. Prayer and fasting prepares us for the work of God. In verse 3, here's what we, we read. So after they had fasted and prayed, in other words, after they fasted and prayed some more, after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them, which was a sign of affirmation and support and partnership. They were praying over them. They put their hands on them. And look what happens. They placed their hands on them and sent them off. Sent them out on an evangelistic mission that would take, listen to this, you may not have realized this, when they sent them out on this evangelistic mission, they were gone for about two years. This was not a 10-day mission trip. They prayed over them, laid hands on them, and they sent them out around A.D. 46, and it wasn't until about A.D. 48 that they came back. So for about two years, they're out on this evangelistic missionary tour, if you will. You see, here's what I want you to understand. The church at Antioch was a, was a missions-minded church. They were a missional church. They were a church with a mission. They understood that they, they not only have a message, they also have a mission. And ladies and gentlemen, we need to be a missional church because we serve a missional God. It was God who spoke to them and told them, send them out. It was God who had the idea of this uh, evangelistic journey that they were to take. It was God who gave that direction. And God gave that direction during a time of corporate prayer and fasting. And for the first time in church history, 
For the first time in church history, the church in Antioch sent out two missionaries to take the gospel to where it had never been. And it also might interest you to know that Paul, in the book of Acts, takes three missionary journeys. Now listen to this. Those online, make sure you get this. Paul takes three missionary journeys in the book of Acts. Every one of them, every one of them, starts in Antioch. Not one of them started in Jerusalem. Every one of them started in Antioch. Now one of them ended in Jerusalem, but they all started in Antioch. This was a church that had a heart for the nations. This was a church who saw the benefit of taking the gospel to the nations. And it started in Acts 13 when in a time of prayer and fasting, God spoke to that church and there was a shift in how they did church and how they took the gospel to the nations. Now apparently this impacted Paul and Barnabas so greatly that they continued to practice this idea of prayer and fasting. Let me show you this in scripture. Go to Acts chapter 14. In Acts chapter 14, uh, the apostles, uh, the uh, apostle Paul and, and Barnabas, they, they take the gospel to various places like Iconium and Lystra and Derbe. And, and so they're going all over the world in that area. And they're taking the gospel to these areas. And remember now, they're going for about two years. So they're taking the gospel to Iconium, to Derbe and Lystra and different places like that. And they're planting churches as they go. And when they get to kind of the end, they say, okay, it's time to go back home now. It's time to go back to Antioch. And they have the idea, okay, let's do this. Let's go back to those same places we went to where we started churches, let's go back to those same cities and check on them on our way home. That's exactly what they did. And as they went back to those same cities, they appointed pastors or elders in each of those cities where they started a church. That's the context that we're going to read now. Chapter 14, verse 23. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. Notice with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord. They understood the value, didn't they? They knew the value of prayer and fasting. They were in the church at Antioch when God put that calling on their life. And now they wanted these other pastors, these other churches, they wanted them to understand the value of prayer and fasting corporately coming to God and seeking God, corporately praying together and fasting together. So in every church where they planted it, they taught them about prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting simply moves the focus off what we can do and adjust our heart to what God can do. Anybody need to know what God can do in your life? Let me give you five reasons that you should participate with us in prayer and fasting. Five reasons. Now, these are not the only reasons. These are, and you'll find fasting throughout the Bible. But what I did, I just went through the Bible and I found five different places where people were praying and fasting. And it's five different reasons that they were praying and fasting. And one of these reasons may resonate with you. It might be a reason that you need to join us in seven days of prayer and fasting. Here's five reasons. Again, not exhaustive, but one of the reasons is this. To ask for God's intervention when you feel helpless. Nehemiah chapter 1, Nehemiah hears about the city of Jerusalem. He hears about the walls broken down in his homeland around the city of Jerusalem. And he wants to help. He wants to do something, but he can't. He's a captive. He's in Babylon. He's, he, he, he's not where he could go do anything. He feels so helpless. And the Bible says in chapter 1 verse 4, 
For some days, Nehemiah said, for some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Because he felt so helpless. One of the reasons that you might need to fast is because perhaps you're going through something right now in your family and you feel so helpless. Maybe you're going through something at your work and you feel so helpless. Maybe there's a medical situation and you feel so helpless. Not sure what to do. Nehemiah went to God in prayer and fasting. Here's a second reason for fasting. That is to know God's will for your life. In the book of Daniel, chapter 9, verse 3, the, fan, the, the future looked very uncertain for Daniel and the people around him. And because of a prophecy, Daniel could foresee what God was about to do and everything looked so uncertain and unsettled. And it says in Daniel 9, 3, So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with Him in prayer and petition and in fasting. Maybe you want to know God's will for your life. Maybe it's an uncertain time for you. And the way that you handle that and deal with that is go before the Lord in prayer and fasting. Number three, the third reason is when you need God's help in a time of crisis. King Jehoshaphat and his people were alarmed at all the armies coming against them. They weren't sure what to do. And the Bible says in Second Chronicles 23, Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. Here in this text, Jehoshaphat, because they needed God's help in a time of crisis, it wasn't just Jehoshaphat that was fasting, but, and he didn't just call a, a, a group of people who were worshiping together for a time of fasting. He called the entire nation of Judah to come to a time of fasting. By the way, did you know that we've had three American presidents who have done that? Three American presidents who have called our nation to fast? Do you know who the last one was? Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln, I think we're living in a time when we need to go before the Lord, a time of crisis as a nation, a fast before the God of heaven. The fourth reason, fourth reason for fasting is to prepare for ministry. Can I remind you that that's exactly what Jesus did 40 days of fasting and prayer before he began his ministry? He said, wait a minute, I thought that was all about temptation. The temptation came at the end of the 40 days of fasting when he was hungry. But the 40 days of prayer and fasting, after his baptism, as he's beginning his ministry, he spent 40 days in prayer and fasting, preparing for the ministry ahead. Maybe that's a reason for you to pray and fast, preparing for ministry that God has in store for you. Here's the fifth reason for turning from sin and surrendering fully to God. There's some sin in your life that... A habitual sin, the sin that you can't let go of, the sin that won't let go of you. Maybe during this time of prayer and fasting, that's the thing you're praying for. Joel 2.12 says, Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all of your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Even now. Even now, after all that you've done. Even now, after all that you've lost. Even now, after all that you've been through. Even now, after all that you're struggling with. God invites us, He says... Return to me with all of your heart with fasting and weeping and mourning. And so I want to challenge you today to go with us on a seven-day journey of prayer and fasting. March the 28th through April the 3rd. And I really believe, though that is one short season in your life, it can have a long-term impact on your life. Really believe that. The short season of fasting, whether it's a day or multiple days, that short season of fasting can do something in your life that can't happen any other way. 
It does something that only God can do. That short season of fasting focuses your attention on God. It tunes your heart to what He wants to say and do in you and through you. So here's what I want to ask you to do. I want to ask you to reach in the pew rack there near you. Pull one of these out. For those that are watching online, let me say that these are online as well. You can go to mountaryabaptist.com and you can fill out this card online. So you can participate as well. Whether you're a member of our church or not, we would love you to participate with us in seven days of prayer and fasting. So you have this card in hand, those of you here in the building. During these seven days of prayer and fasting, I'm going to ask you to pray for at least two things. Let me clarify this, and I'll try to say this again later in in a letter to you. But hear me uh, about these two things I want you to pray about. First of all, one of the things I'm going to ask you to pray for in the seven days of prayer and fasting is for a personal breakthrough. A personal breakthrough. Now you determine what that is. What is the personal breakthrough that you need? Maybe it's in your finances. You need a breakthrough in your finances. And I want you to pray and fast during those seven days for that. Maybe it's a personal breakthrough in your marriage. Maybe it's a personal breakthrough in that habitual sin. It can be a multitude of things. But one of the things I'm asking you to pray for is for a personal breakthrough during those seven days of prayer and fasting. Remember, you may fast one day, but you can pray all seven days, right? You may fast just one meal, but you can pray all seven days. So pray for a personal breakthrough. Number two, pray for a church breakthrough. So what are we praying for? Here's what I'm going to ask you to pray for. And I'm going to ask everybody to be praying for the same thing, for a church breakthrough. And here here it is, that God would give us a clear, compelling vision for the future. That God would give us a clear and compelling vision for the future. That's exactly what he did in Acts chapter 13. He gave the church in Acts chapter 13 a clear and compelling vision of what he wanted to do and everything changed because of that shift that came out of that time of prayer and fasting. So I'm going to ask you to pray for those those two things specifically. This card in your hand represents an opportunity to deepen your walk with God. True prayer and fasting will draw you closer to God than almost anything else I know. True prayer and fasting. I will say to you, just as a way of confession, early in my days of praying and fasting during this season I went through, I wrote in my journal, God, this feels more like a diet than it is that I'm drawing close to you. It took me a while to really focus my heart on Him. There was a day It was an evening when I sensed His presence. I tried to listen. I want you to have that opportunity too. This is your chance. Deepen. Your walk with God. You may say, Keith, I don't know that I can give up food for a day. Try a meal. Try two meals. Try a day and see if Almighty God might be able to help you do that. 
You might even want to do more than one day. God will show you. Now, let me say again that if you have physical limitations, if you're on medicine, you need to be careful in what you do. Maybe even consult a doctor before you start. But God will show you what to do. And here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm just asking you to take that card. And if you can this morning, just go ahead and fill that out. I think it's pretty easy to understand whether you're fasting for a meal or multiple meals or a day or multiple days. Notice we don't have a place for you to put your name. That's intentional. We just want to know, are we covering every day of the seven days? Are you going with us on this journey? Now, I will tell you also that I'm going to give you two things in the next few weeks. First of all, I'm going to give you a how-to list. Uh, kind of a, a how, to, how do you do a fast? For some of you, this is brand new information. You've never fasted a meal, much less an entire day or multiple days. How do you go about fasting? What is that like and what do you do? And I'm going to give you a how-to list on how to fast. Also, the second thing I'm going to provide for you is this. I'm going to give you a prayer and fasting guide to use during the fast. In other words, during those seven days, we're all going to have the same guide. We're all going to work through it together. It'll be a prayer and fasting guide to make sure we're praying corporately together. There is power when the church prays together corporately. We'll have that guide to give to you before we get started. Now, I want to close with this. One year ago this month, our world changed. One year ago this month, we learned a new word, COVID-19. And for nearly every church in America, church changed too. For the first time in my ministry, I've been in ministry for almost 30, a pastor almost 35 years. For the first time in my 35 years as a pastor, we closed the doors of the church for an extended season. This was not closing the doors of the church because we have snow one Sunday. For the first time in my 35 years, we closed the doors of the church for an extended season. Some churches closed their doors for good. They never reopened. Then, most churches in America went to church online. Then, a lot of churches went to drive-in church. Then, we moved to what I call limited church. We got ropes on the pews and we wear masks sometimes and we wash our hands all the time. We have sanitizers and all, all those kind of things. We take all kinds of precautions. Would you agree with me? Somebody, somebody agree with me. Say amen, please. Would you agree with me? These are days unlike anything we've ever seen. I thought about it last night. and I actually pulled up my calendar from... March 2020. I sat there at my computer and I looked at the calendar of things we had planned for March 2020. And then there's a little button on my calendar where I could just hit today and it instantly took me from March 2020 to March 2021 and I thought about everything that happened in that time span. And I want to say to you as your pastor, these are days unlike anything we've ever known, and this may be the best opportunity in our lifetime to experience real revival. And I will say to you, if we don't experience revival in America now, I don't know if we ever will. We need God more now than we ever have. 
The future is more, more uncertain now than it's ever been. True revival is nothing less than a manifested presence of God among us. And I know no better way to experience the manifested presence of God among us than to fully surrender our lives to Him. And I know no better way to do that than through intentional times of prayer and fasting. So I'm going to ask you to pray for two things and fast for two things. A personal breakthrough and a church breakthrough. March 28th, April the 3rd. Join me on this journey with God. Would you pray with me now? Father, We long to see you work among us. We long to sense your presence. We long to hear your voice. We long to know your will. We long to do your will. And just like you did for the church in the New Testament days in Acts 13, the church in Antioch, Lord, speak again. Do it again. Speak to us personally, I pray, during this time of prayer and fasting. And speak to us corporately during this time of prayer and fasting. May we be surrendered to your will and may we be obedient to your voice. And I pray that in the strong and the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.